Welcome to Ask AI, the podcast that brings you insightful interviews and news from the world of Canadian artificial intelligence. This episode is sponsored by Microsoft Canada. Microsoft is committed to building trusted and responsible AI systems. To learn more, go to microsoft.com AI and check out their free AI business school to start building intelligence into your solutions today. We're also sponsored by Cinchi, the global leader in data fabric technology. Visit cinchi.com to learn how to eliminate integration and turbocharge your AI transformation. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Ask AI podcast, where we talk with all sorts of incredible Canadian leaders in artificial intelligence, AI. Today, we are speaking with Dr. Jacob Jeremko, an associate professor at the Department of Radiology and Diagnostic Imaging at the University of Alberta, as a board-certified radiologist and a Canadian CIFAR AI chair. He is also a partner with MIC, which is a medical imaging consultants, one of Canada's largest radiology partnerships. And where we'll be spending a lot of our time today is chatting with him about his startup company that he founded in 2018, Meadow.ai, that uses artificial intelligence to interpret point-of-care ultrasounds. Dr. Jeremko is currently focusing on artificial intelligence analysis of these ultrasound images to produce the stethoscope of the 21st century, so to speak. Dr. Drimko, welcome. Thanks very much for having me, Melissa. Fantastic to have you here. And I wanna start diving right into your startup. I'd love to know what gave you the idea in 2018 and how did you take your medical background as a radiologist and have that aha moment of the applications of bringing AI to it? Right. Well, the story started quite a bit before 2018 on that. When I first became an uh, academic radiologist in uh, at university, I got the position after doing a fellowship in Melbourne. Um, I did a pediatric radiology fellowship training program in Melbourne, Australia, where I, um, I was working with a very high volume center for infant hip dysplasia. Um, and they were doing scans of baby's hips to see if they had abnormal hips that needed treatment. And, um, you know, we did many, many of those scans during that time. And when I came to Edmonton, I was thinking, uh, well, how can we make this better? And I thought, well, let's use ultrasound, but let's use 3D ultrasound so that we can see the whole shape of the hip. And so this, um, this had nothing to do with artificial intelligence at that time. Um, but when I was uh, in the 1990s, I, when I was doing my PhD thesis, I was using uh, very early forms of computer networks that are used in artificial intelligence. I was programming with artificial neural networks, very simple ones to solve uh, imaging problems. So in the 1990s, I had this skill in uh, neural networks. And then in the, in my fellowship, I ran into this particular clinical problem. And then in sort of 2015, 2016, I was working with a star postdoctoral fellow, uh, a woman named Dornush Zenobi, and she is um, just a fantastic uh, computer scientist and um, really gifted at, uh, uh, at putting together networks of, of people. And um, she was working on this with me and we developed some really cool uh, analysis and we published in the radiology journal. But uh, what happened next was when she finished her fellowship with me, she actually refused to work with me um, anymore, which I was a little bit sad about. But actually the reason she, she declined my offer to stay on 
was because she got uh, got the bug of taking this uh, taking this to an entrepreneur level and uh, going to uh, entrepreneurs first in Singapore and um, developing uh, a software for artificial intelligence analysis. Now, this is something that we had cooked up together along with um, another radiologist named Jibesh uh, Kapoor in Singapore. And so the three of us uh, decided to co-found a company which would uh, investigate ways to automate the analysis of these complex images we were getting. So we started with 3D ultrasound of the hips, which is not really a commercially viable thing, but it's certainly of a lot of academic interest. And um, we turned that idea into something that was the nucleus of a, uh, a really successful and fast-growing uh, startup company. So I'm really proud of, of, of our team. And for me, I feel really glad to have the people that I'm working with because, like, I'm a very academic person. I, I, I have these, you know, intellectual problems. Like, what is, what is the, uh, you know, the, the academic interest in this type of, of imaging? And um, so I don't think as well in a commercial way that uh, Dornouche, despite being a computer scientist, does have that ability. And uh, Jivesh has a, another way of looking at things that really is complementary as well. And so the three of us together make a really strong team as co-founders to, uh, to make this company happen. I wasn't expecting to go into an artificial intelligence entrepreneur kind of status, but now that it's started uh, and now that it's... Uh, really taken off. Uh, I'm very proud of what, what we've accomplished. And I certainly, I have to just make sure that it's clear that, uh, you know, that this would have never happened without Dornouche in particular. And I think that it's the interplay between complementary skills and what Jivesh brings as well that, that really makes this possible. So it's not just one person making things happen. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, there's so much to pick up on in what you just said, and I, I love that you're celebrating your co-founders, Dornouche and Jivesh. That is fantastic. I'd love to dive a little bit deeper into, you know, how, and perhaps only peripherally, but how you've seen the field of AI change from your PhD thesis when you were dabbling with the OG neural nets. <laughs> And, and what we're seeing today with some of the more complicated models like T5 and, and things like that, if you have any commentary. Yeah. Well, you know, it's been a dramatic change. And, and um, so as I'm a radiologist, so my work is on medical imaging. And when I was doing my PhD thesis, the, ne the neural networks were kind of like a complicated, uh, a nonlinear version of, of linear regression modeling. So they were capable of nonlinear analysis. But I spent the first year and a half of my PhD thesis putting together lists of indices that could be made into inputs into the network and pruning those lists. Nowadays, nowadays, what's happened in the last few years that's really exciting is that neural networks have got strong enough and uh, with raw computing power and with clever design of computational neural or, or convolutional neural networks that we can now directly dump a medical image or a natural image of someone's face into the, into the AI and it will analyze that image directly. And that's really the, the, you know, the seminal moment from which everything comes. So, you know, and that's just been in the last few years and that's really made the whole field explode. And that I would have, my PhD thesis could have taken like six months to do instead of four years if I had had that, a network of that power. Oh my goodness, that's so funny. I mean, it's true though. A lot has changed with the data that's available, pre-existing data sets, pre-clean data sets, things like that. You're absolutely correct. There have been significant advances. 
when you don't have to do all that data set work, it makes a big difference. That said, still a lot of data set work to be done. Um, so moving on to some of your academic background and, you know, you mentioned a lot of the ideas you have in particularly around some of the early implementations with hip dysplasia may not have as strong commercial viability, certainly some, but maybe not as much. And for you, this is great, right? Being at the University of Alberta, because you're an academic, you love these intellectual problems. And for other people who are listening to this, who maybe are like you and never thought that they were necessarily going to get into entrepreneurship and things like that. And I know you talk about your partner, Dornoosh, who you said drove a lot of that. I'd love to hear more about anything that you may have to share as advice for the other academics out there tinkering, thinking about things, having ideas in AI who maybe aren't as inclined as an entrepreneur. What advice or thoughts do you have on that? Yeah, that's difficult. I I, um, I guess uh, I don't feel like I'm um, the ultimate expert in this for sure. I certainly, what I've learned from it is that, uh, you know, Ideas are plentiful. Some people are really ideas people, but there has to be this kind of this kind of line where you say, "Would I actually buy something to do?" And I think um, my third hat that I wear, where I'm a radiologist, a clinical radiologist, and a partner in medical imaging consultants, that's been very helpful for me because there, like MIC is, um, you know, a dominant player in uh, medical imaging in Edmonton. We have we run most of the hospital uh, radiology departments and have clinics all over the, all over town. And um, so MIC buys computer hardware and software to use in its clinics and, you know, decides whether to adopt a new technology or not as a, as a partnership. And I'm part of those decisions. And so with that hat, I'm thinking in a different way. I'm like, well, okay, is this product something that we'd actually use to help us make a diagnosis? Is this something that would actually be useful in real sort of, you know, day-to-day -day practice, high volume practice? And so my hat as a clinician is in sort of sorting through whether a purely academic enterprise is going to be something that would be really of use helping patients, or if it's not a medical field that you're doing AI in, um, just in actually having a real impact. Is this something that you can see a real user taking advantage of? So I think you have to sort of think like a user and think, is this something that would actually be of value to someone? when you're sorting through which ideas are important. Yeah, absolutely. That's incredible. I love, I love that. And, and I'm hearing two things. So one, have some real world experience and that's where for you being both an academic, but also still working with MIC and being a clinician gave you that insight because you got to be both, you know, the provider of technology as an entrepreneur, but also the user as a radiologist yourself, kind of nice when you're building products for people like you. That helps <laughs> yeah. to put users first. <laughs> and then the second thing I'm hearing is find partners like Dornoosh and Jivesh. It sounds like for other people to have those partners with them, it, it would help. Given how much you've shared that they've made Meadow possible. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think the, the, the reason that I've gotten where I've gotten has been the combination of, you know, the, these different roles. And I think I think in general, that's, I, I really think that to one of the things that makes, that drives innovation and leads to successful innovation is bringing people from different backgrounds and experiences to the same table. And when you take smart people who come at problems from different approaches and put them together, 
then um, people might think out of the box and come up with something different or something that's uh, useful to many people. So that's what I've been very lucky. I sort of straddle this um, straddle this uh, divide between clinician and scientist, and it's sort of like standing on a fence pole actually because it's between clinician, scientist, and entrepreneur. And um, you know, uh, if I'm successful, it's because I'm able to bring together people from each of those domains and try to integrate what everyone's uh, what everyone's thinking and come up with something that would be useful for everyone. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I love it. It's so funny. You already guided the conversation exactly where I was going to go next. You know, you, you really are doing a lot of things. You're a clinician, you're a scientist, you're an entrepreneur, just like you said, I literally had those words written down and then you said them. This is awesome. You know, I've also noticed in your bio, you are a dad of three and that's really interesting and exciting. And it kind of shows the personal side of your journey. And when you're doing so many things, you know, I'd love to hear how you think about that balance. And this is a question that's often asked to women. And so as a women interviewer, I'd love to ask a man uh, to get some different perspectives and diversity of thought on how you balance all of these things, plus being a dad of three. Well, thanks for asking that because that is the uh, the eternal challenge. I um, One uh, one benefit of an academic career is that there is a bit of flexibility on an hourly basis. Like I might be able to attend a parent-teacher interview on an academic day that I couldn't get to on a, a clinical day. Um, I think that in the broader sense, I'm trying to have a career that would make my that will make my kids proud once they're old enough to understand it. Um, I try to involve them. Actually, all three of them have had their their hips scanned repeatedly for uh, hip dysplasia for my projects over the years. Poor. And uh, they're used to uh, they're used to coming into the hospital with me when I'm on call, and they're used to you know being helping out with projects as they get older and uh, being subjects or being giving advice. So I really try to um, I try my best to integrate my kids into my uh, into my career and try and show them try to guide them into like how they can be successful and happy later in their lives as well. And so I also. I also, I also am slower to respond to emails than a lot of folks because I have a lot of stuff I have to do with the kids in the evenings. And so, uh, you know, that definitely does play a role. I'm quite limited in which conferences I can attend uh, or meetings I can go to because of, uh, because of parenting duties. But I certainly, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I put the parenting duties come first in those regards. And I think most people will appreciate that. Absolutely. That's fantastic. I really appreciate your candor on that. and. Yeah, it sounds like it's a lot of prioritization. <laughs> awesome. Well, this is a really fantastic segue into hearing more about your journey. Like, walk me through how you got here. It's just, it's so fascinating. And I know you talked about the evolution of your startup, but maybe even some of your journey from your PhD, even before your PhD, like how did you know you wanted to use these early neural nets in your PhD? And then, of course, that journey through to being a, a clinician and an academic. Tell us more. Well, it has been kind of a convoluted journey. I'm not sure I'd recommend this uh, this path to my kids. But uh, I originally was going to be a civil engineer and an architect. When I, that was my, I, I was interested in roads and bridges. I went to civil engineering school. I got my undergrad in that, and then. Um, uh, there was a bit of a monkey wrench thrown into things because my uh, one of my sisters developed diabetes, and I thought, well, my anything I'm doing in engineering is kind of useless to help with something like that. And I ended up applying to medical school, 
But back then, um, I had no interest in research at all because I thought it would be not applied to anything. It was just pie in the sky. But then as I got into medical school and started going through it, I began to see that there was a, a role for a, you know, combined or applied research. And so I, I got an MD, PhD combined program, uh, scholarship from CIHR and spent several years working on that. And, uh, so in that context, it made sense to do research and get a PhD. And, uh, my project was, was the pretty complicated thing about, uh, 3d medical imaging of scoliosis at the surface and spine. And when we were analyzing it, my supervisor and I were, were realizing that linear regression tools were just not working. We needed something nonlinear, which had, uh, which, you know, took inputs up to a threshold. And, um, that's when we were, you know, this new thing, these neural networks seemed to be something that would apply. And so when I used those, it was, it was, it was pretty neat, uh, but it was kind of this limited tool at that time. And so I stepped away from that and went back into clinical. I was always interested in imaging, went to became a radiologist and um, was always interested in uh, bones and joints. And so I did a fellowship in Boston in that and, and then this other fellowship in pediatric radiology. And when I was putting all these various disparate elements of training together and applying for jobs, when I finally realized I was finished with, you know, education, it started to actually kind of click that I could get an academic appointment looking at musculoskeletal problems and potentially using these, uh, you know, more advanced computing tools that I had been, uh, that I'd learned in the past. And so all of that came together into a, a, a chair position in Edmonton, which, uh, which I was very grateful to have come my way. Thanks to Rob Lambert, who was the chairman, uh, at the time and had a vision that matched with what I was thinking. And then, um, from there, I went into uh, research on, uh, image acquisition tools. And then along came all of a sudden in the, you know, mid 2010s, this, uh, the ability of neural networks to analyze images directly. And that's where everything came together. And that's, that's what led here. So it's been a kind of a convoluted journey, but I, what I like about it is, is the, the fact that my original engineering, uh, skills and the training I had in that kind of comes together with my medical to, um, you know, the various parts of my training all kind of come together and are all useful. None of it was wasted. And, you know, I think many journeys are like that. That's amazing. I love that line. None of it was wasted. It makes me think of the, you know, hindsight is 2020. And, you know, I unmute myself so that listeners can really hear your voice. But I got to say, I was chuckling at several points throughout your story. It is, it's just so amazing. And you're right. Definitely meandering, winding roads. I, I was really just you know tickled that you were saying all right hang on i'm gonna read i'm gonna redo that one second i was really just fascinated when you said you originally wanted to be an engineer because you loved roads and bridges and now you know being a radiologist and loving bones and joints now perhaps you could say that those are the roads and bridges of our body no maybe yes absolutely like a perfect example is uh the spine the vertebral column is like um, a multi-level apartment building. And the analysis of that from a mechanical point of view is very similar. And um, the things that I learned about uh, structures in civil engineering fit very well with body structures. And the analysis approaches from that, um, solving tools from engineering, apply perfectly to uh, uh, what we do in, uh, in medicine and what I do specifically in my research and entrepreneurship. Exactly. Awesome. I am glad 
that the um, dad joke I had made sense. And then you were like, yes, it does apply. <laughs> I thought it was very clever when you were speaking. I was like, oh, roads and bridges of our body. <laughs> um, so amazing to riff on that. And now, you know, we're getting towards the end of our conversation. I'd love to ask you maybe two or three more questions. One thing I'd like to look at is, you know, we've gone micro, we've gone personal, we've looked at you, we've looked at your journey and your story, which is truly fascinating. Now let's look outward. Let's look big picture. I'd love to hear what you're thinking about or what's really exciting you more broadly in the field of AI. Well, I think, um, thinking broadly, I think that uh, AI is a way that we can democratize medical expertise. So a lot of the problem with, you know, if you look at our, our, our healthcare system is an amazing and incredibly expensive tool to make people's lives better. Um, but really it requires patients to come into the super fancy hospital where there are very scarce beds as we're currently hearing with COVID. Uh, there's, you know, the scarcity of the beds where the best treatment can be had. The diagnostic machines like MRI and CT cost $5 million each to purchase and take up, you know, huge areas. And the people who have been trained to read the scans or to look at the conditions that you're facing, that, that training takes so much time and, and it's so scarce, but really it's very hard for a lot of the population to access it. So the, the you know, people experiencing homelessness on the streets just outside the Royal Alex Hospital or, um, you know, indigenous people, reserves, people in the far north, many communities around us can't really access that level of care. But if you take a handheld portable ultrasound, which is a tool that is the hardware that's increasingly becoming available, and you can use artificial intelligence to help people make sense out of those funny snowstorm images that the ultrasound is producing, then you can take that tool to everybody. You can take the hospital to the patient. And so for me, it's exciting that in, in my field or in, in broad terms, that AI is able to democratize access to high quality medical care. It could bring expertise out into the out into the world and into the community, you know, make and the expertise is really something that the, the expertise that comes with AI goes from being a scarce, rare human resource into something that everyone can benefit from more. Wow. Well, I'd be curious what some of your colleagues would say about this, as we, we hear a lot in the, the medical field, because I agree with you fundamentally, and I think many, arguably millions of Canadians do, about the importance of democratizing medical expertise. And you hit on all the big reasons, right? Uh, the scarcity, both of technology, beds, clinicians like yourself with all your training because it takes so long, the hard to access elements for Indigenous peoples, people experiencing homelessness, the far north. Like, I'm from Sault Ste. Marie. I thought I was from a town. People were like, you know, when I was in Toronto for a few years working, they would be like, you're from the Sioux? Wow, like that's so far. I'm saying, being like, we still border the United States. Like, imagine folks up in Moosonee, in Iqaluit, like actually people in the north. So I always found it funny when I'd get lumped in up there. So I love to hear you thinking about people who have been marginalized by the systems and the way that these systems are set up and who do not have at all equal access compared to other people who maybe have homes in Edmonton and are able to advocate for themselves in the hospital setting because that big fancy hospital maybe isn't as scary. Perhaps they also work in the hospital in a different way, right? So I, I just love the thoughtfulness and approach that you have with thinking about this. So I really want to commend you on that. 
Well, thank you. I think uh, if we could really have an impact that, that translates to everyone in our society, that's, you know, if I could say, what's the big vision, that's my vision would be really help, you know, everyone, not just uh, a privileged few. Absolutely. And to wrap up, because I, I think we didn't fully talk about this at the beginning and perhaps we should have, but you mentioned, you know, the funny snowstorm images that ultrasounds generate today. Just give me the quick overview in, you know, the way maybe you'd explain it to your kids or when your kids are a little older, how you'd explain it to them, but how Meadow takes these funny snowstorm images and what the output is, like what it turns them into. Right. Right. So ultrasound um, is formed by, uh, like the ultrasound images are formed by sound waves reflecting off of objects or structures inside your body. So um, the pictures that it generates don't really obey the same rules that visible light does. So like when we look around at to make images, you know, put photographs or videos, their visible light, uh, you know, bounces off things a certain way. Sound waves bounce off things very differently. So like a stone or gas can look exactly the same on ultrasound. It's very confusing for the human eye. And, uh, you know, the images are also very grainy. There's lots of artifacts, noise. There are lots of, you know, um, echoes and strange sounds that basically transform into grainy pictures. So ultrasound images are hard to... Now, with appropriate training, a neural network or artificial intelligence can be trained using human expertise to help to train them to make sense of those images. And uh, what, what Meadow does is um, it takes, those, takes the input images and it uh, assesses for the quality of those images, makes sure that they're of the right body part and they're good pictures of the body part. Um, we're working increasingly on helping on, on tools to help get those good quality pictures. And then once they are good quality pictures, it will do things like make a surface model of the structures that are inside the pictures and relate the uh, anatomic structures within those pictures to kind of an atlas of known quality and uh, the things it's been trained on so that uh, at the end, the output can be either a diagnosis or a suggested diagnosis, like this hip is normal or this hip needs, or a, uh, a comment on the probability of malignancy. This lump inside an organ is, you know, benign, is almost certainly benign or uh, has a high chance of being malignant, or it can generate an actual, like a picture, if that's what's actually important, uh, 3D rendering or a structure um, of, of a, you know, of a bone or whichever part of the body we're looking at can also give you numbers if you're calculating something like how big something is or how what the ejection fraction is in the heart. So we're training the AI to give the output that is most useful in each clinical situation. And that differs depending on the clinical situation. But it, over, always what's happening is these grainy images are going in with human expertise saying what's the most important thing and um, training against uh, validated data. And at the end, you get out the output is the thing that is the the most clinically useful bit of information from those pictures. That was amazing. I like, yeah, fantastic. I love the way you explained the sound waves right down to everything and, and how it can actually deliver insights. So that's wonderful. And I know our users are, oh my gosh, I am tongue twisted today. Thank you so much for explaining that. I know that our listeners are going to love to hear exactly how the input from the sound waves of the ultrasound turns into even just insights that says, hey, we, this is what we think about this growth, whether it's benign or malignant, and some of these other amazing things. Now, Jacob, I'd love to ask you the last question, which is, 
Is there anyone else that you would like to thank? You've sprinkled gratitude throughout this. You know, is there anyone else you'd like to thank? Well, I'd really like to just double down on thanking my partners at Medical Imaging Consultants for um, for supporting me in these academic endeavors, and particularly Rob Lambert and Derek Emery, who've been my chairman, my chairman, who've uh, really supported me uh, well. And then uh, thank and Abolash, who's my uh, trusty research associate, and. Uh, and, you know, my family for, uh, for putting up with all these extra things that, uh, that I am doing. So, um, yeah, but I'm particularly grateful to just a whole community of people, my students and, uh, colleagues that, uh, that I work with. I think, you know, I, I've, I see myself as in the middle of a large team of people who sometimes don't even know they're part of the same team. And, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's really integrating that, that, uh, makes me happy. And I bet that all of those people have really enjoyed working with you too. And I know they're going to be thrilled that you took the time to thank them. So we will thank you now. Just a whole lot of thanks going all around here. Thank you for joining us today on the Ask AI podcast. And we'll just do a final shout out and thanks to our generous sponsors, Microsoft Canada, Cinchi, and the Dataware platform. Don't forget to check out our team check-ins, which are a great way to get your message out on our podcast and YouTube channel. You can get all the details at askai.org. And this was Dr. Jacob Jeremko. Thank you. Till next time. Thanks for listening to the Ask AI podcast. The sponsors of this episode were Microsoft Canada, producers of the Free AI Business School, and Cinchi, the dataware platform that makes integration obsolete. The series producer was Chris McClellan. The series editor was James Fajardo. Original music was provided by Mike Letourneau. To learn how to be featured on our podcast and get information about sponsorship and volunteering opportunities, please visit our website at askai.org, send us an email to info at askai.org, or talk to our bot by visiting askai.org forward stroke chatbot.